0: Welcome to one more edition of Politics on Radio. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us. We have a special guest today. You, you know, folks, you would think by now, several years, more than a decade after we have done what was necessary for people in this country, that we would not have to be talking about this issue today. We are here today with Aaron Solomon. He's the head of strategy for Esquire Digital. He has taught entrepreneurship at McGill uh, University and the University of Pennsylvania and was the founder of LegalX, the world's first legal technology accelerator. Aaron's work has been featured in TechCrunch, Fortune, VentureBeat, The Independent, TechCrunch Japan, Yahoo, ABA Journal, Law.com, The Boston Globe, The Hill, and many other popular publications, including our own or their own today's Esquire. So folks, we have somebody who of which knows what they speak. Welcome to Politics Done Right. Aaron, how are you doing today?
1: It's great to be here, Humberto. We'll find out if I know of what we speak. I hope that I won't let your audience down.
0: I have no doubt about it, my friend. Anyhow, before we even get into Obamacare and all of that, um, yesterday I was I, I watched a, a thing on, on, on uh, CNN they gave a complete expose of what occurred on January 6th. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, I, I, I don't know if you're, how very political you are or not, D- doesn't matter. I just want to know as a US citizen, as an American, I don't know if you've seen, if you saw it last night or not, but what's your thoughts on January 6th from the perspective of us being the United States of America?
1: So, you know, I have a very interesting perspective um, on that. You know. It's, I've lived all over the world. I've lived in places like Beijing, and I just came back from living almost four years in Berlin, where there's you know, a lot of Americans as well. And it's such a visceral thing the closer you are to the events that happened in January. So I am, a, I think, a very political animal, as, as many of us are. And I think I'm still reeling at you know the slippery slope of democracy. It's very difficult to get back up when you start to slide down, and there's no doubt doubt that the democracy did. And while things on their surface seem to improve improved since January, we're you know months now away from the 2022 midterms, right? You know, I, I, it's going to be a very interesting time ahead.
0: I am I am very uh, concerned. I you know I think I'm doing my part to, and I I really uh, in as much I have, as I'm fairly partisan or very progressive not partisan fairly progressive i am doing my best to hope that everybody gets their real wishes done in a democratic manner so we'll see i'm from a part of the world where democracy is not very democratic and to see that the bastion of democracy is actually in trouble is it's very difficult to, uh, to 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 take into account. Anyhow, let's talk a little bit about Obama, Obamacare's Supreme Court case. Your thoughts? I mean, you, you know, I am not a lawyer. You are. I'm not. Um. I as soon as I heard what the results were, and I realized that they didn't touch Obamacare's the guts of Obamacare. I was concerned, and when I got your email. <laughs> it made the concern even worse. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what occurred in the Supreme Court?
1: Yeah, I can certainly give a little bit of background about it. So, you know, what was really at issue here was this notion of the individual mandate. And anybody who knows anything about Obamacare and the ACA knows that the individual mandate is the provision requiring individuals to have insurance. And if they didn't, until 2017, there was a $695 fine levied by the IRS. That's changed. What's happened since 2017 is that that penalty has zeroed out. And it's important because this really became a linchpin in the case. What the court said was, you know, there's been a trilogy of cases that have actually looked at whether or not Obamacare was going to survive. This is number three. There was a case called National Federation of Independent Businesses versus Sibelius back in 2012. And then there was King versus Burwell in 2015. And then this case, California versus Texas, which was decided last week. Right now, as it stands, Obamacare survives and the approximately 30 million Americans who are involved in the program in one way or the other got to wake up on Friday morning and realize that they still had health insurance. But is this gonna be written in stone forever? Absolutely not.
0: No. you said 30 million. I just want to say one thing because, um, as it turns out, I believe the provisions of Obamacare is so much for reaching in that all policies now had to have the same protections and those that those 30 millions get 30 million who have Obamacare get. So, I mean, a lot. I, I, I wish I, I want more people to realize that a lot of the protections they have in their own insurance at their jobs and otherwise, even though it's not Obamacare those laws fall under the Obamacare law. I think it's important for people to see the severity of this and that if this goes, which you're saying the possibility still is that other cases could be brought up. And if this goes, it doesn't only affect those 30 million people that nobody cares about, but it affects women's pricing on insurance, et cetera. You want to expand on that a bit?
1: Well, for sure. I mean, so there's a couple of different ways that this can end up going. So as we say, you know, for right now, the ACA is safe. And really what the court was saying last week was this. And remember, we've got a 6-3 conservative majority court. This decision was 7-2. So it was 7-2 in favor of upholding Obamacare. And people are saying, well, that doesn't seem to jive. Like, what's going on? Here's why. I think what the court was saying, if this is the quality of plaintiffs and challenges that you're going to bring to Obamacare, maybe the best way for you to all sort this out in the future is legislatively rather than <laughs> through the courts. Um, there's this great writer that I like so much, Molly John Fast, uh, and she's very, very much a liberal. And in an unrelated issue this morning, she said, You know, Democrats continue to bring a stuffed animal to a knife fight. And I thought that that was a wonderful quote of hers. And it's precisely for this reason that I won't bet against the ACA being revisited either judicially or legislatively. I think that while people are feeling very confident after Thursday that the ACA Obamacare is okay for now, that there are going to be other challenges to it. That's my opinion.
0: Well, um, I think your opinion is well placed. And that's, that's one of the reasons I wanted you on, because I think this needs to I think people need to get this in the back of their heads, because what happens is a lot of folks would vote for certain candidates because they think, OK, Obamacare is safe. I can vote on other issues now that I want to, you know, of what I want Th- Explain that a bit more, because I think that's how a lot of a lot of people vote in their own interests on specific issues. And if that specific issue they believe is taken care of, how do they behave?
1: So, I mean, I don't think that part of the fundamental tenets of democracy is that we should always be looking out for our self-interest. I think the idea of living in a democracy is that we work together for the benefit of others. So, you know, even if only 30 million in quotations or only 30 million people were affected by Obamacare, there's a huge interest in society in making sure that everybody has health coverage. I mean, like I said, you know, I've lived in lots of parts of the world where health coverage is a given. It's not a question of buying in or having private insurance. Part of what you get by being someone who lives in that country Is healthcare. So I think that benefits not only the people who have and need the healthcare, but benefits the society as a whole. I think that we can't be as myopic as we tend to be uh, in a democracy that's under siege from the things that happened in January and before that. I think that we've got to look out for the interests of ourselves and, and those around us as well.
0: Well, you know, Aaron, it's voices like yours that needs to be um, upheld because um, what happens is we have a narrative in this country that everything needs a payback. In other words... um, if uh if uh, you know when we talk about businesses uh it's like uh, we if we're going to create a tax for this something, how is it going to affect business as opposed to how it's going to affect humanity? It always gets me and its it, it's pleasant to hear you say that hey, in other countries it's a given. I think if more people understood that and realized the kind of outlier that we are with respect to how we treat our own people uh they, they, there would be there would be a change how would you how would, what can we do other than bringing people like yourself on to tell folks that there, we don't, it doesn't have to be this way. It could be better. What are the things that we can do? What are the things that you are doing uh, with your, with what you do to kind of put that out there?
1: Well, there's two things. The first piece is raising awareness, right? So one thing I want to raise awareness about, you know, judicially about what happened last week with the ACA is I'm going to use a great football analogy that everybody's going to understand. All the Supreme Court did on Thursday was punts. They didn't like the plaintiffs, they didn't like the issue, so nothing was fundamentally decided about the constitutionality of the ACA. And Like I said, a lot of experts believe that this will eventually be resolved in the legislatures rather than by the Supreme Court, and that may be the case, but the reality is it's going to be looked at again. And then the second thing that people can do and need to do is vote. The 2022 midterms are right away. You know, There's a razor thin margin in Congress right now for the Democrats. And a lot of experts who are far greater statisticians and have far greater predictor predictability um, abilities than I do um, are thinking that that margin may not be there after the 2022 midterms. So I think that we need to educate ourselves, educate our communities and make sure to vote.
0: You know, what is interesting is I, um, I, I if people listen to what you're saying, first of all. I think there's a good possibility that, you know, I think there were two other times in history where the, the party in power, the, the party in presidential power and the entire government, they actually held on to it. I think it was during 2000 when uh, Bush was elected. And I don't remember what the other year, I think it was under Clinton as well, where, where, where they maintained. And each time there was something special that caused it. Do you, don't, don't you think that right now this pandemic may be one of those issues where people uh, give Uh, don't follow that rule, if you will.
1: I think so. I think the pandemic has changed so many things about our personal behaviors and our social behaviors, and I believe as well about our political behaviors. I mean, plus we have seen things move forward in some ways. Just look what happened in, you know, Georgia for the special Senate election. That was truly historical. Can that kind of momentum continue moving forward? Well, we don't know. But again, it has to. Here's the thing. Look, the Supreme Court still has about 18 cases left to go. Just this morning, when we're interviewing right now, having this conversation, about an hour ago, they came down the Supreme Court on the decision involving NCAA student-athletes. Mm-hmm. It was a very narrow decision. Uh, more will come about that later on. There's still you know, at least a dozen cases to go. And then the next term begins in October. And we already know the Supreme Court has accepted hearing a case that's going to revisit Roe versus Wade and the fundamental ability of women in the United States of America to have an abortion. So anybody like me, by the way, who's surprised by the Supreme Court and thinks that they're following the dictates of the chief justice and actually acting with one voice of the court. I'm surprised by how centrist they've been in a lot of their decisions so far. But again, don't get fooled. It's a 6-3 conservative court with folks like Kavanaugh, and Barrett. So when it comes down to these fundamental decisions, we're going to see over the next 18 months that affect the law of the land leading into the 2020, 2022 midterm elections, there's a lot that could happen. So we have to be vigilant and we have to be diligent about education. And as I said, getting out to vote.
0: I think you hit the nail on the head. I've been telling a lot of folks, this is just a head fake. In other words, if we give, uh, if we give those people who don't want these particular changes, a little bit of Hey, they're not as bad as you can when the real issues come about, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but what I've said is that um, the court is now, and, and I'd, as a lawyer, I'd like you to uh, kind of comment on this. I've said that the way, the, the, the way, let's say, McConnell stuffed the courts over the last several years was designed for minority rule. And uh, the other thing that I've said is uh, what we've set up is where we are going to legislate via the courts, because if any law is passed that, quote unquote, business does not like, uh, there's a good possibility that you just have to throw it into court. And at worst, you get a freeze. At best, they just break, they just, you know, call the law unconstitutional. Your thoughts on that?
1: So you raise a really, really interesting point here. Remember one critically important thing about the way the Supreme Court of the United States functions. They don't have to hear any cases, Right. They don't have to, they can pass anytime they want. So the notion, which I think is a little bit simplistic about the fact that if something happens in a district court and something happens at a United States appellate court and it's not good for the country, the Supreme Court will fix it. But the Supreme Court can just as easily pass on hearing that kind of case, or as I just said, the Supreme court can take the case and could come up with this. this is a very, very unpredictable court so far, which is kind of fun to watch and fun to follow. But when we're dealing with, you know, issues that involve civil rights and other fundamental rights, a little bit scary when you watch kind of the machinations of a court like this.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is let's take, take a look at uh HR one, right? I mean, if, 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 um, if- if that doesn't go through, and even, well, let's, let's back up. Even if that were to go through, isn't that really problematic that, uh, let's, say, let's say for some magical reason, uh, we, we, we kill the filibuster and it's able to pass through the Senate when it goes into the Senate version. Uh, isn't it true that the Supreme Court could just deem that unconstitutional?
1: Yeah. And plus, the filibuster is not going anywhere anyway. Right. There's such a razor thin margin. And, you know, Manchin from West Virginia has made it super clear that even before he had the ally in Kristen Sinema, that the filibuster is not going
0: anywhere. Well, yeah, they're using him as a straw man, right? Because there are a lot of them that want the filibuster as cover for things that they would prefer not doing, but want to say they're not doing it because of the filibuster, right?
1: I had a piece published just after the election uh, where President Biden became president, and I said, you know, the only way to look at Manchin is one of two ways. He's either going to become a king or a kingmaker. But it was very clear, even after the presidential election, that Manchin was going to wield the kind of power that he wields today for himself and for someone who, again, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not questioning Manchin's motives. Manchin is born and raised in West Virginia is well-loved in West Virginia and represents what he believes to be the values and intention of the state, which is, I guess, what a United States senator should do. So it's easy to criticize him from the outside. He believes that he's doing the right thing for his state and he's a huge impediment, but he's a huge power broker at the moment as well.
0: Now, um, you, you make an interesting statement when you say you don't doubt his, uh, the, the reasoning behind what he's doing. But um, my question is, when it comes to CNN, The type of voter suppression that is occurring in several states, including my own, here in Texas. Um, how difficult is it to for anyone to see what's going on other than putting their heads in the sand? Thoughts?
1: Yes. So I mean, it's comforting sometimes for us to put our our head in the sand. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And all these things are happening, but you know. If voters like, is voter suppression something that's top down or bottom up? I believe it's bottom up. So I believe that when you see jurisdictions such as Texas, Georgia, places like this, where there is widespread, you know, voter suppression, uh, new gerrymandering, and all of these things, I think to a great extent it's the will of the people. Um, That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. I don't think it's the will of the people fighting against an individual politician. I think it's that politician, you know, doing what their Medici, the voters think that they should do. And that's scarier because that means that the power is at this grassroots level, which is why it's harder to vote these people out. Um, Back to Manchin, you know, he's been involved in daily life in West Virginia for decades. And as I said, he's well loved in West Virginia. He's representing the views of a great number of West Virginia voters. That to me is a lot scarier than what a politician does.
0: Well, I'm glad that you said that, because uh, I don't know what I have no idea what your uh, political affiliation is, but I'm going to say this anyway. When I um, got when 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 donald trump got elected and people were all concerned about or how could this happen etc one of the things that i mentioned was it represented the people it really represented the will of the people however what it also proved is that america is not really a true democracy in that the will of the people were that more people wanted hillary clinton the will of the people were that uh was that uh, more people wanted Biden by a landslide. And also the will of the people was that they wanted, uh, you know, if you take a look at the Senate, the Senate is a very undemocratic body, not only for the filibuster. It's become super undemocratic because, I mean, that California has 50 senators, I mean, 50 uh, has two senators and Nebraska has two uh and and those two in nebraska can wield as much power as they as california there's no democracy there if we if we proportioned senate based on population we would have a lot better as as the polls show a lot better more progressive policies your thoughts
1: well you know you touched on the electoral college a minute ago that's almost impossible to explain to people around the world and a lot of the writing i do is for an international audience as well as a north american audience And when you try to sit down with somebody like in Stockholm or Amsterdam or Buenos Aires and explain to them, this is what an electoral college is and this is how a president gets elected, their their response is usually, what? Why don't we just do a popular vote and the person with the most votes is president? It doesn't work that way in the United States. Democracy is a very complicated thing. But the reason we all hold democracy so dear is we have incessant lessons around the world from history that shows us what happened when you don't have democracy. So the biggest concern in the United States over the past few years has been whether those democratic ideals have been sliding away from us. And, you know, nothing is written in stone at this point. There's still a lot of signs that between voter suppression and a lot of the laws that we're seeing now and a lot of the ways, you know, big corporations are doing business that it is fundamentally and inherently undemocratic it needs to be fixed.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that you know, it, and I think the rest of the world is noticing based on the new polls where where they they do think that we're in a comeback, we're coming back as a more ethical country. One of the issues, in fact, is that we're no longer that bas- that democratic bastion. That the reason I came to this country in the first place, the democratic bastion that I saw, and many around the world are starting to say, "Oh, it's not as democratic to, as we really were led to believe," and it it really never was. We just were always good at PR. We were always good at PR.
1: And one thing I wanna mention about this is remember, democracy when looked at globally, which we should do more, is always a relative thing. One election that you really wanna look at over the next year, which also leads up to our own 2022 midterm, is what's going to happen in France. You have the current president of France, Macron, who's moving further and further to the right to basically appease voters there and help him from getting defeated, by a surging right and the right is surging all over the world I saw that when I was living in Germany the surging right getting a lot more seats um, in the in the German Congress so it's a pretty scary thing so America always has to be measured against that as well it's uh it's it's not a great scene at the moment
0: I was about to uh give you my last question but you went ahead and opened a door that I wanted to touch on uh why did you do that anyhow <laughs> um Yes, there's a right movement, uh, and uh, my personal opinion, and I want your thought on it, is that the white movement, or not the the, the right word movement, is a white word movement. Meaning, uh, white people are made to believe, or some a large percentage of white people are starting, are, are made to believe that those others are coming to take their birthright. And as such, you have to revolt in as much as it's not true, number one, and number two, it's a false fear based on history. And I can just say, go to South Africa and see what given others uh, their rightful power really does to everybody else. We're all humans. Your thoughts?
1: Well, I agree that we're all humans and it's very, very scary. So the things that we saw in the United States as regards political information coming through all of the technology and all of the devices that we use is not limited at all to the United States. It's happening in all of these countries that have a move to the right. And I think that, you know, there is a great synergy, unfortunately, what's happening now between white and right in a lot of places of the world where you know people who come from different backgrounds and don't look like people uh who have political power and voting power um it's it's a very very scary thing and it has its peaks and valleys and maybe right now we don't see it in the news as much because It's not being as focused on as much as it was like 2018, 2019. But again, with elections around the corner, in certain countries, change of power, you know, listen, when Trump was in power, arguably the strongest and most important leader in the world was Angela Merkel in Germany. Well, she's finishing her tenure. So, All of these changes that are happening, you know, it's very, very difficult to keep all of our balance and understand where we all are in relation to it. So it's something that's going to be an ongoing unfolding thing in the United States and abroad over the next few years and something that we need to be diligent about. Also understanding what kind of information are we getting? Is it good quality? How can we get better information?
0: Very, very true. And and you do a good job of that with the writing that you do all Thank over you. the place. So yeah, keep up your good work. Now, one, one thing, I, one 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 country that has bucked the Right Words movement so far that I'm very happy about was what recently happened in Chile, which means also they're going to get a new constitution that is more progressive, if you will. Anyhow, Aaron, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't ask you? What would you like to tell our audience that I didn't give you the opportunity to do so yet.
1: I think you did a wonderful job on all of the things relating to and not relating to the case. But honestly, I think the most important thing that relates to the case is all of these opinions that you might see online saying, hey, listen, Obamacare is safe. Well, we thought that, you know, over the decade that Obamacare has been around. And I don't believe that Obamacare is safe uh, in any way. Whether, again, it's going to be a judicial or legislative response to things in Obamacare that give people coverage is something we need to watch out for. But I think anybody that's resting easy after Thursday's decision just needs to look at this court and the history of challenges to Obamacare to understand that something else will come sooner rather than later.
0: Aaron Solomon, head of Strategy for Esquire Digital, it's been my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. Thank you so kindly.
1: Thank you for having me.